You're listening to House of Content, a weekly show that dives into the world of creators, social media, culture, and more. My name is Christine, and I am here in the virtual studio with my lovely co-hosts, Yanni and Melissa, who are creatives and also creators themselves, and they're based out of Los Angeles. And this week, the talk of the house is de-influencing. So without further ado, Yanni, I believe you have a story for us. I have a story for you because... There's something that I saw recently on TikTok that connects to a much bigger topic. You might have heard of the now cult-like Stanley Cup. Uh, it's everywhere. It's the favorite of the girlies. Um, but I have been de-influenced to not get it. Um, what happened? The reason is I saw a video where someone had broken down that actually... It's crazy that we're all so obsessed about Stanley Cups. And that might be the future cause of a lot of wrinkles around our mouths. And it made me think about how accurate that was, that we are using these straw-like cups every day, um, not thinking about that side. Again, it's quite funny uh, to me. And, you know, you can argue how accurate that information is. But I feel like this de-influencing around Stanley Cup made me think about how I just don't need a lot of these viral products. Um, You can see everyone getting it, but it is contributing to this sort of overconsumption. And I feel like the Stanley Cup argument was very fresh. Yeah, and I think it's also, I I mean, you're killing me with this story because I am a big user of of, of reusable straws. I have my cold brew every day, and now I'm like thinking about whether I need to rethink my coffee strategy here. Um, How would you two uh, define de-influencing? Well, I would say that de-influencing is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, that what content creators are encouraging people not to buy or use something. Usually it's something that is kind of overhyped and probably there's a lot of influencer money behind it as well. So it's not necessarily uh, that organic. It can be. It can be just also like a lot of hype around some some new product uh, that isn't necessarily worth the hype or the dollars that it costs. Yeah, and I think overall it's it's almost like a collective response to the overconsumption that we're seeing fueled by social media, as well as just trying to gain back some influence because we've also seen that there's a lot of critique towards content creators who may be primarily promoting things and the balance between unique content and ads is sort of gearing more towards ads. So I feel like it's sort of a result of the moment we're in um, trying to bring us back to maybe more authentic the content, um, being able to actually say, I don't like something for these reasons. And I think it's actually also just another way to hook and get attention, especially on platforms like TikTok or, or Instagram to start off with, hey, this is a controversial opinion or maybe unpopular opinion. I do not like this product or service X that everybody else is buying into. Um, I actually have a de-influencing story myself. I am a 
Yeah, I, I'm a late bloomer to TikTok, and I started maybe only about a month ago. Um, and I got on the skincare TikTok pretty quickly, and watching all of these dermatologists explain that vitamin C serums that are in clear jars and non-airtight containers actually oxidize the product really fast and means you're basically just putting whatever liquids on your face and it's not going to do anything. And I did a cabinet purge and I found a bunch of my vitamin C's that are expensive products. I'm talking 70, 80 bucks and they're packaged in a manner that the product will not last. And I was blown away. So I think it's a really useful trend for consumers, but I could see how it might be really um, scary for brands. Um, Mel, have you had similar experiences? Well, yeah, I feel like I've been influenced and de-influenced uh, all the time on TikTok. And especially when I'm looking for anything to buy, like any new products, like lately I've been looking for new hair products to dry on my hair that is uh, a little bleached, a little dry. So I would like to have some like good products to kind of like make it feel more alive. And uh, whenever I research it, I, I go first on TikTok. That's the first place I go to. It's not influencer. It's not uh, like like Google anymore. Like I used to do it's It's TikTok. And I must say that every single product or brand that I was excited about I was not excited about after seeing all those TikToks because then you could always find people de-influencing that product. For example, Olaplex. I, I almost ordered it, but then I saw this TikTok about Olaplex, how it's just a waste of money and it's not going to be doing any good for your hair. So then I went to the drugstore and just got some like drugstore products. I know Yanni is going to be, <laughs> Yanni is not going to be happy to hear this, but, uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm going to be needing some recommendations. Maybe I'm just going to go oh to that God. old school fashioned, like a friend recommendation route instead. And yeah. And ask Yanni for your recommendations. It just speaks to how confusing it can get because then you're starting to see people influencing you to buy it and then other people de-influencing. So how are you supposed to make up your mind, right? I think it has a lot to do, like back in the day, like the thing is influencing and de-influencing, like they've gone hand in hand. Like basically de-influencing is influencing and that's what influencers have been doing all this time. They're telling what they like, what they don't like. And now it's just become this trend on TikTok. So people are kind of like using that word more directly, but it is basically just influencing. And I think it like before people would follow a certain influencer and they would believe that influencer because they know they'd be following them, you know, for a year or two and they know they really trust their opinion. But nowadays, since we're getting uh, bombarded with this uh, content from random people that we don't even know of. It just comes on our For You page. So I feel like now it's there's so many different creators that we're being exposed to that we don't have that trust relationship. So that's where it comes a little bit confusing because they don't really have that authority necessarily to influence us, but at the same time, they're, they're talking on a video to us and telling all these points. And it is very confusing because we're we're getting so many different opinions instead of just getting them from our, you know, favorite three influencers. Like it used to be on those golden, like YouTube and Instagram times, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, I, and I think defluencing is also a way for creators to build their 
credibility because they're kind of saying, hey, I'm not just telling you about the good stuff. I'm also letting you know what's not working for me, even if it means that I might not have the best image after that in this brand's um, when this brand maybe looks at me and that might even um, stop them from having future collaborations. So it's all about, again, like building out that authority um, in your realm. But at the end of the day, de-influencing, we know that and we've seen these videos when they say don't buy X, they also come out and say, hey, buy this instead, which again links back to, to this idea of de-influencing actually um, also being being influencing. Um, Yanni, I'm really curious to know your point of view on this, on how brands can maybe take advantage of that or how can they get a top, on top of that cycle and maybe become the products that are recommended instead? I think part of this is you shouldn't be scared if someone is talking about you in a de-influencing way. I think first step for brands is just to understand where that's coming from. What's the volume? Are people actually argumenting things that are important parts of the product and critiquing that? And that could be improved. Or is it just a small group of people um, that are quite loud that the product or brand is not even necessarily trying to go for, right? I think it's not necessarily a bad thing, I would say. And if you approach it in the right way, you know, there's a there's a way to come out top. Transparency um, about your brand and about your product are crucial. Um, if you don't want to have a large amount of people sort of questioning what you're doing, um, especially with Gen Z, I feel like you have to be transparent. We're seeing a lot of brands make videos about negative comments as well. Um, but I feel like the bigger the company, the less comfortable uh, brands are with that level of transparency. And they have to lean in because if, and a lot of the times, especially in the world of beauty, fashion, there's there's a lot of masking um, product functionality with marketing and actually building the whole product story through storytelling and marketing that is not necessarily aligned with the actual functionality of the product. And that is actually going to be pushing brands to not over-promising in their marketing. Yeah. They have to align their messaging with how the product actually performs, because if they do not do that, they're going to get roasted online. Uh, what do you guys think about that? What I think is going to happen is that brands might actually realize that they need to be building more authentic relationships with influencers. And instead of just, you know, getting, you know, some big famous influencers out there uh, without checking really, is that is that person a fan of the brand and fan of the products and just, you know, paying them money to make an ad like content uh, which can really easily lead into kind of like inauthentic messaging. So I do, I think that brands will, or brands should make sure that the people that they collaborate with actually, like their values align with the brand and they actually enjoy the products and they want to be the face of the products because they believe in it and not just because of the money. And that becomes more complex too, because then it's not about that, so maybe if the, the V1 playbook of working with influencers when this whole game cut kind of 
came about was finding the creators with the biggest reach and the best name in, in a certain niche or segment. Whereas now I think it's going to push brands to work more with um, smaller in- influencers and more niche creators. And it might call for more of a nuanced strategy. They're going to need more resources around that too, because it takes more research to find a more diverse and and vast pool of creators that you need to work with who can reach the right people and have that right relationship with your audience because you cannot just go to um and i'm exaggerating here you cannot just go to kim kardashian and say hey i'm gonna pay you a a million dollars can you make an ad for our concealer right totally and i think that it's also interesting how the word influencer and creator has changed with the rise of platforms like TikTok, um, every, like everyone's a creator almost in some way. And so it is challenging because you're managing like a bigger quantity of people talking about your brand and products than you used to. Um, I would say like the world of UGC has exploded as well. You also have UGC creators and there's all all these new parts uh that you sort of have to track and manage and and try to understand but i think that all of those are huge opportunities for, for brands social media is such an untapped space as almost like a research pool as well like there's still very few brands the bigger you go again the less i would say we see this is using social truly as the little research pool for real changes to what the brand's doing and and what the products even include. Some brands do this really well and include the people in even launching new products. They might even launch a new product with a tweet of someone asking for it. I think we're going to hopefully see more of that because it really is more about what people want than just sort of pushing your own agenda. That's a controversial opinion saying that uh, social media is such an untapped place for a lot of brands because when you think about it from a, a brand's perspective, all we hear in the industry media is that everything is becoming so oversaturated, right? But you're absolutely right there where especially when you go to enterprise brands and these huge corporations, their marketing organizations and how they even conduct brand management is very much from the lens of is everything according to the brand and design and tone guidelines at all times, then you must not deviate from that. You have to look polished and sleek. And it's kind of that old school playbook of advertising and new platforms, especially TikTok and short form content has really kind of blown that up. And a a great example of that is I think it was Emirates Airlines that on TikTok, they took, there was this giant cat floating about trend. One of those, I think, CapCut templates. And they actually use that on their official TikTok page. And it's a great example of a huge brand with a a long legacy being this kind of premier airline. And they're going full on into this TikTok organic, a lo-fi aesthetic. And I think a lot of brands and brand managers have a lot of homework to do. Um, I'm wondering, have you uh, in your work and working with, you know, TBWA obviously works with huge brands. Have you come up, come across or encounter these um, conversations where you've had to sort of show 
your clients to see this space from a different lens and kind of let go of those kind of old expectations for what content should look like for advertising or marketing? Yeah, I would say all the time. And it, you know, you might get feedback around something sounding too juvenile, too young, when actually you're just using the lingo of the platform or uh, a brand that only wants to do things that are positive. So even though the trend or joke lands in a positive way, but uses a more courageous or negative angle, but the takeaway is positive. There's a lot of conversations around, oh, we don't want to be negative. And then to your point, trying to break the playbook of polish is definitely uh, a, a tough one for some brands. The bigger, the more it's a challenge. But I think it comes down to creating new processes and then those brands empowering people to own who know more about it. I always remember actually working in Finland and trying to pitch social ideas for a VP level executive. And every time the feedback would be, can you make it slower? And as a social media professional uh, and a creative, I'm kind of at loss of how to do good work when, you know, you have someone approving work that doesn't necessarily quite live in that platform. Um, and you know that some of that feedback will make the work perform not as well, right? So education is always going to be part of our jobs, I feel like, because we're learning every day. Um, and there's things that you know, we don't know as well uh, because things are changing so fast. But I think it is important that you have the right processes for approvals and things like that so that you don't have the wrong people in place to try and navigate the world of content. Yeah, I strongly agree with what Yanni said. It's like, uh, like how many brands do you see out there on TikTok succeeding with polished content that is following the brand book? Like, I have not seen a single brand that would be following this approach and getting high organic views and following. And I don't know, like, I would love to see if there was a brand like that. So that just proves the point that you really need to throw all these rules like out the window and you have to start playing it like you have to consider tiktok as its own platform and like play by the rules of the platform and as yanni said like really just use the lingo that people use there otherwise you're gonna you're gonna be sounding like if you're gonna be targeting uh younger audiences like young millennials and gen z which is what the most of the user base is even though it is of course uh, all the time growing like to older generations as well but if you if you want to reach them like you're not going to be using this official boomer language to to resonate with them you have to be talking with their language it's definitely a big difference to what brands have been doing on different plat like other platforms like Instagram and YouTube where it is a little bit more old-fashioned so brands definitely need to be adapting to these kind of new rules and i'm sure there's going to be a new platform showing up in 
maybe next year in a couple of years that's going to be something completely different than TikTok and we and brands need to be able to adapt to this and uh, no offense to boomers by the way we love you too um anyways <laughs> so what one of the things that i've also been thinking about is how in traditional advertising no no matter what the format is we've always followed this playbook of archetypes in storytelling, you know, whether it's telling the hero's journey or these other types of universal ways of crafting stories. And I think what TikTok is doing is introducing new archetypes of storytelling, whether it is get ready with me or day in the life or any or story time, any of these formats that they're introducing into culture and brands should be following how these archetypes are used because they psychologically appeal to the audience and then think of how they can take their brand and their story and adapt to those archetypes. Yeah, I love that. And I think finding unique ways to participate in them versus just trying to jump on everything, right? What's interesting, you know, obviously working in a in a big ad agency, I'm already seeing that some teams are working on TV films, drawing inspiration from, let's say, TikTok or content as a way of storytelling. Because obviously, in general, we've been moving to a shorter form executions across the board outside of social. So it's crazy to me to see a deck where TikTok is influencing a TV ad storytelling. I mean, obviously, that's not every scenario, but it's super interesting. Or even, you know, leaning into some of those formats or like more macro level trends that are not just a trend that happens today as a way to influence messaging. So I feel like it's super interesting how those things are starting to blend as well but it's not always the case speaking of short form con- content the, r- the real question is will we even have a place to de-influence and this is a this is a great segue into our our next conversation around tiktok perhaps being banned so i'm sure if you're in the world of advertising and marketing we have been following this conversation for months and months. It started out as a GOP culture wars, you know, let's let's stop the foreign power of China uh, spying innocent U.S. citizens. And now we're at a place where if the Chinese parent company ByteDance doesn't sell its stake in TikTok, it might be banned. So the government might prohibit the uh, app stores from making TikTok available to download. The use could be potentially criminalized, although I'm not sure if they would go that route, just given that they don't want to punish everyday Americans. There are a lot of conversations around whether this is actually limiting freedom of speech, whether it's even legal to do so, and if they will enact on this, that that a lot of associations like ACLU and, and, and the likes of that will actually counter sue. But what do you think? Will this happen? That's a tough question. Funnily enough, I bumped into a lawyer that works at TikTok and was trying to ask what the, you know, what the situation looks like from the inside, but obviously didn't get much information from a lawyer. But yeah, it's interesting because there's so many things at play. I think this is about much more than just uh, TikTok. There's a lot of conversation politics at play as well. 
I would certainly hope not, because obviously this would be something that influences a lot of creators who primarily make their income through the platform. And so while I do think that hopefully it's unlikely there is a real risk here um, that that would be the case. And that's when, you know, I hope that more and more creators are ensuring that they have a presence across other platforms as well. So they're not dependent on just one. Mel, if your client would come to you today and say, hey, look, I'm worried about all of this conversation around TikTok being banned, what would be your immediate recommendation for the brand? Well, as Yanni said, I I would first make sure that they're not just relying on TikTok. So if, if they have a really strong TikTok presence and they don't have videos or content in any other platforms, I would make sure to, of course use all of that content to be reposting it on on reels on shorts and all those different platforms but most likely that brand already has a presence in those platforms usually tiktok is one of the the last uh channels for a brand to enter even though nowadays it can be just like the only one especially for smaller brands but i would definitely I recommend expanding on different platforms and not relying on just TikTok because it is a little uncertain. I mean, US has never issued a ban uh, on an app before like this. So it's I, I see it quite unlikely to happen. And if it does happen, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some sort of competing app that is going to be taking that space. But of course, that means that like all the creators and brands will have to start from scratch. But I'm... I wouldn't really necessarily go that far to think that it's going to happen, but you you still got to be prepared. And that's why I would never put, you would never put all your eggs in the same basket <laughs> and rely on just one, one channel. So I actually have a conspiracy theory and maybe just me, this is just me putting my, my, my folio hat on and, and speculating. But I actually think that in addition to using TikTok as part of the GOP foreign threat culture wars, I think that the other tech giants like Google and especially Zuckerberg's Meta are in the background influencing and lobbying these lawmakers to push for bans like this because we all know that Meta has been in trouble for a couple of years now. And what happens if TikTok suddenly goes away? Well, the most natural two places to go to after are obviously YouTube shorts, but Instagram reels. And so I think they're actually put these tech giants would love for TikTok to be banned because that means such a push in ad spend um, for, for both of them. What do you think about this? This is not even that. I definitely think that there's a lot of influencing and de-influencing happening to try and stop TikTok because it's there is a direct benefit to other platforms there, right? So it's in their interest. So I'm I'm with you on that one. I think it's definitely happening. But what I don't know is how big of an influence those other tech giants have in swaying this one way or the other. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the crypto exchange FTX and how much money they poured into lawmakers that were essentially then in their pockets, you know, you'd be surprised. It's, it's, it always surprises me how, how wild the, the, well, this is not a politics uh, podcast, so I'm going to, I'm going to pivot from this, but um, in all, I think that with TikTok, it is, it represents about nine 
billion dollars in U.S. ad revenue alone. And so I do think that if anything drastic happens, it's just going to be sold to a U.S. entity because it is such a huge part of the advertising ecosystem. I mean, nine billion is, is no small feat. Um, but in all, we also know that the user growth is stalling on TikTok, but YouTube Shorts is actually growing. Uh, Mel, do you want to give us the like quick spark notes of what YouTube Shorts is? Yeah, so I mean, YouTube Shorts, that is basically just YouTube following the footsteps of TikTok, just like Instagram has been doing. It's like their own format for creating short form video content. And it has been on the rise uh, in the past year. It kind of like started quite slow. It took a while for people to get there. Uh, People were still so used to watching long form video content on YouTube. And I believe that one of the reasons why YouTube Shorts is growing in popularity is because long ter- uh, long format video content is also growing in popularity. Like I feel like people are kind of getting tired watching, like they're kind of getting fatigued of watching short form video content uh, on TikTok where you have to be scrolling all the time and be super engaged and focus on the content. And I think now people are shifting more towards watching like form for long format videos on YouTube that you can just kind of have on the background. And I think that that's also one of the reasons why people are watching more shorts because they're all, already on the platform. So they're like, oh, might as well be, you know, checking what's here on this, uh, on the other side of, out of this app. And then there's the shorts. And I, I definitely think that yeah, long format videos are growing. Like t- this week, I saw that I have the option to create 10 minute videos on my on my TikTok. I didn't have that before. I think the function has been there for a while. Uh, but but yeah, it's like other platforms, short form video platforms are also kind of realizing like we need to be able to provide that space for longer, uh, con- like longer video content. Yeah, longer video content also means longer engagement and then also more opportunities for these platforms to sell ad placements. So that's that's always the end game there. Which brings me to our final topic uh, of the week. So this is our, it's called our click-through rage. And and my click-through rage for this week is, is Meta killing the metaverse. We know that they invested billions into these immersive experiences announcing that the future of us all essentially is living virtually as avatars online, which I found pretty dubious. But nevertheless, um, now they've quietly kind of killed that direction and they're going for AI instead, which obviously, if you haven't been living under a rock, you know, everybody's talking about AI and chat GPT. The question that I have, and this is my last question for both of you, has Meta lost its vision? Have they had a vision Lately, I think that I would describe their vision as stealing from others. So I'm not surprised that they're going all in one way and then shifting once they see something that is gaining more attraction from people. So I would say, yes, they've lost their vision, but I, I don't think that's a very recent lost. It's it's been lost and the originality has not been there for a while. I, I agree with that. I I do think that when Meta sees that something's working for someone, they're just they're they're seeing when they see an opportunity, they're going to go after it, and it doesn't come as a surprise that they're now going to be investing in AI instead of a metaverse. So yeah, that was kind of expected in a way. I remember when 
sort of the golden years of Facebook advertising. That was around the time that I worked at Smartly.io, which is one of the biggest um, meta partners and, and social advertising platforms. And really, like during that time, it was quite incredible the, the kind of growth that brands could drive through Facebook advertising. And during that time, I still bought into their vision, you know, the idea of connecting people, right? Everything from WhatsApp, from um, Facebook, um, me being able to talk to, you know, I have family all over the world, obviously living here in Finland, Italy, and being able to kind of follow what my family and friends are doing all around, that really felt like a, a value add to me. And I believe their vision back in the day of connecting the world. But then now, like, all these years later, Cambridge Analytica and all that stuff. Now, obviously, it's more about, okay, so you want to connect us to monetize us. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and social platforms rise and fall. Um, obviously, we're, we're keeping our eye on the latest developments. In any case, this wraps up our first ever episode of House of Content. Please go rate, review, and share this with your network and follow us on TikTok, on YouTube Shorts, and Instagram at It's House of Content. And until next time, the door is always open.